0: Good to see you all yeah, our choir and terry do a good job and our organist and pianist moved on me let's have a round of applause for our, our worship's music today <laughs> yeah. july 3rd good to have everybody together we do this maybe once or twice a year and so it's good to be able to do it and uh good to have y'all in here with us today well one of the freedoms that we have in Christ, as we we'll continue to talk about freedom, is, is the freedom to love other people, the freedom to, to love others. And, and we can love them especially, especially when they don't deserve it or when we don't want to love them or we don't even have that desire to do so. Indeed, that's one of the ways that people know that we are genuine Christians is when we love others. But what do we mean by love? When we talk about love, what what do we mean when we talk about love? Well, we're looking at a passage today in Galatians 6 that gives us an idea of what we mean. What does love look like in action? What does love look like? Chapter 6 of Galatians, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season... We will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We thank you for this weekend you've given us. We thank you for choosing each and every one of us today to, to be to be born, most of us, if not all of us, and to live In the United States of America. Lord, as we heard today that religious freedom is a fragile thing. We have to work for it. Even today we have to work for the the, the freedom to not only to worship, but the freedom, Lord, to be able to be Christians in public. To be able to have our values follow us even in our workplace. And so we thank you, Lord, that we're able to do that here where there's so many Christian brothers and sisters who cannot do that across the world So let us be thankful to you, Father, and let us continue to spread the love of Christ throughout the world so that we can influence other cultures, other governments, to also allow those uh, under their care to have that freedom to worship. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for what you've given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that we've been given ultimate freedom from sin and from from judgment and from hell, Lord, through uh, your Son's work on the cross. Lord, we love you. I pray that you speak through me today, that my words are yours. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to show you three ways that we, can, we have the freedom uh, to show love to others. Three ways we show love to others through that freedom. Number one, uh, we have the freedom, in, as we love others, to restore others. We have the freedom to restore them, to restore them. How do we act when others sin? When others sin, especially against us, uh, how do we act? Uh, do we judge them for it? Do we say, huh, that's, that's what they deserve? You know, Many times I catch myself thinking that, if I'm not honest with you. I see someone uh, calling a sin and something happens to them I'm like, oh, God's justice. Sometimes I think to myself about that. Or do we ignore it and we just say, well, you know, no one's perfect. No one's perfect. Or if we have the opportunity, do we roll up our sleeves and help them in their sin? That's maybe an option we haven't thought about. A, we can be quick to judge them and criticize them. B, we can be be, uh, quick to say, well, you know, no one's perfect, everyone sins. Or C, do we get in the pit with them? Do we look at restoring them? See, Scripture tells us specifically when our brothers and sisters in Christ are caught in sin, he tells us, verse 1, what to do. He says in verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness doesn't say when someone's caught in sin, just pray for them and leave them alone. doesn't say when someone's caught in sin, you know, just, just, uh, just don't worry about it. Just everybody is a sinner. It says, no, if you are spiritual, if you're following Christ and, and someone's caught in sin, you need to restore them. You have to roll your sleeves up and, and help them. Caught. That's what he says. Then when is caught in any transgression, caught has the idea of stalling. Have you ever been in a stalled vehicle before? That's a frustrating feeling. I remember when I was in college, I switched cars with a guy. He went on a trip and he needed an SUV. And so he gave me his little sports car and I said, sure, well, I'll, you can have mine. I'll take yours. And I never told my parents I did this, probably shouldn't, but anyway. I uh, switched cars with him, and Emily and I were dating. And I went to go pick her up, and uh, before he gave me the keys, he says, now you can drive a stick, right? You know." And I, I had driven a stick years ago. I was like, yeah, sure, I can drive a stick. So I went in the parking lot, and, 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 and before I picked up my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, I said, let me make sure I can drive this thing. <laughs> and I was stalling in the parking lot, and you know, I was tearing his engine up probably. Eventually, after about 20 minutes, I got the hang of it again, right? But it's a, it's, it was a, it's a frustrating feeling when you stall a car, if you're in a car that has stalled, and you're not going anywhere, and you're stuck. You're not moving forward. You're just sitting there. There will be times when fellow Christians, they stall in their spiritual life. They're running well. They're following Jesus well. And then they stall out. Paul says the stalling is due to transgressions. Uh, this word can also be translated trespasses or sin. So they're walking with the Spirit. They're, they're following Jesus. We don't know something happens in their life. We don't know if they were the victim or if they were the perpetrator or whatever it was. But something has happened and it's caused them to sputter and stall. What do we do then? Well, We have the freedom in Christ to help them. We have the freedom to respond it says we gently restore them gently restore restoring has the idea of fishermen mending their nets putting their nets back together has the idea of surgeons setting a fractured bone putting it back together you wouldn't want a surgeon hastily setting your bone you would want him to be gentle wouldn't you be gentle well about a year ago, I injured my pinky finger. You see, maybe might be able to see this wrap I have on it. And uh, I was walking down the stairs to the beach there on our vacation, and I had my hands going down the railing. And underneath the railing, how they had made it, there's a piece of wood up underneath the railing. So I went down, I was kind of running down the steps, and my finger hit up underneath that piece of wood, just hit it, poof, right, just right on it just jammed it. I was like, oh, that hurts really bad, right? But, you know, you got four kids and a wife going on the beach, so I'm like, okay, I'll be fine. And, you know, and, and months later, I didn't feel it. Uh, but, you know, I got this three-year-old, I'm constantly chasing around the house and picking up, and, you know, changing diapers and changing clothes and all this kind of thing. And, and for the last few months, it's, I've re, been re-injuring this finger and it kind of won't go away. And then when it feels good again, then I'll do something where I'll hit it and it hurts again. So I finally asked my doctor about it. (laughs) About a year later, I said, listen, I got this nagging pinky injury, and it just, uh, like, what do I need to do? Do I need to just put it in a splint? And he said, no, you know, don't use a splint. And I would have done that. He says, when you have a finger like that, you want to take tape and tape it to a buddy, the buddy being the ring finger. I said, oh, okay, like they call it buddy tape. I said, okay, so I, I taped it to the buddy. Then he sent me a whole, a whole article. He knows me well. He sent me a whole article to read about why I would be doing this, explains why you're doing it and all that. So I did it, and you bind it to the other finger, and over time, you know, the, the, the tendons grow back. They, they, it heals, and, and uh, it might take a few weeks, but it heals quicker than if you didn't do it. That's part of the process of restoration. Your friend who is in sin is the injured pinky finger you are the buddy finger you can just put a splint on that finger and pray for them and leave them out there by themselves or you can tie them together to you and you bear that burden with them you are the buddy you bind them to you you don't let them hang out by themselves you gently restore them this this ring finger is not injured but if I showed you my two fingers, you would have no idea which one was injured which one wasn't. I'd have to tell you, the pinky's injured, the ring is just there to help. That's how you should be to those who are struggling and stalled out in sin. Paul gives us a warning. He says, keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Just because a person is spiritual don't, doesn't mean they too cannot be tempted and fall out of line. So make sure when you're helping the person, it's an area where you feel comfortable with and that you wouldn't fall as well. And then he says in verse 2, and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, when you restore someone, you're bearing their burdens. You're carrying their weights for them. That's what you're doing. You're binding them to you. But you're really binding them to Jesus. You're binding them to Jesus through you. See, a burden was a weight. And that's what happens when people get stuck in sin. The the sin weighs them down. They stall out. They can't move. And they need someone to bind them and put them back into the fold. And when we do this, it says that we fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law? Of Christ. Well, it's it's kind of a play on on words, a phrase of the false apostles who taught that in order to be saved you had to have Jesus, but you also had to obey the law of Moses. Well, Paul says, No, you obey the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? It's the law of love. Gently restoring others is the law of love. It's it's loving to to reach down and help someone if they stalled into the pit. It's loving to to, to pick them out. We don't want to break them. We don't want to make things worse. We want to help them. But keep in mind that the person who has stalled out could just as easily be us. Verse 3 says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives him." Selves. See, sometimes we can start to view ourselves as better and think, look at that person who stalled out over there. Why, why would they do that? They know better than that. How do you think that could happen? And we start thinking, man, I, I would never have fallen that way. I never would have stalled that way. How, how does that happen? How could that happen? And we start thinking to ourselves, can you believe they did that? And we call someone on the phone and say, did you hear about so-and-so? Can you believe they did that? Can you believe this happened? A number of months ago, uh, news came out that a, a, a pastor had done something, and I called all my pastor friends, and we were just like, wow. We were shocked, but we all knew that any person's capable of it. And that's the, what, the, the, the mind we need to have. That yes, this is sad, but we need to help them. We need to help them. We don't need to deceive ourselves and believe a lie about who we truly are so we reach down and we restore others because we know that that just as easily could be us and if we were stalled out and if we were in the pit we would have loved for someone to come and gently restore us amen so we restore them verse 4 but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor what this means is that when we scrutinize our own selves by the same measure we scrutinize others. We think to ourselves, this person is stalled out over here, but I wonder how that happened. That could probably happen to me. Maybe there's a situation where that could have happened to me. And so we get a better reality of who we are versus who we think we are. And we compare that to who we're supposed to be loving, and we gently restore that brother or sister. Then he says in verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Well, the word for load, it can be used to, to describe something as simple as a backpack or carrying weights or the load of a cargo ship. The, the point is that we all have our own burdens. Some are easier for us. Some are harder for others. Some have harder, bigger burdens. And Many times that burden is tied to the fact that they have stalled out. So, in Christ, we have the freedom, the ability to gently restore those who have fallen away. Secondly, we also have the freedom to encourage others. We have the freedom to restore others. We have the freedom to encourage others. In every conversation you have with someone, you have a choice you have the freedom to make you can be critical and uncaring judgmental there might be a time to be critical I'm not saying there's never a time for that but unlovingly critical unlovingly uh, uncaring or you can choose to be encouraging it's a choice God's not gonna make you be that way the Holy Spirit's gonna lead you in a way But it's your choice and your freedom to be the kind of Christian that you wish someone would be if you were in their shoes. You have the choice to be encouraging. As we're loving those that need love, we need to focus on encouraging them. Most of the time is when someone has stalled out in sin, they know, if they're Christians especially, they know what's the problem. They know the problem. You know, it's easy for me when I'm talking to my children or any, any adult. It would be easy for me, someone I know really well, to tell them, well, here's why you're having problems. But they know. They know. right? So they just need encouragement to help overcome it. Verse 6. He says, let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Paul is saying that there will become a day where we may need someone else to help get us out of the stall. And when that happens, the student, so to speak, is helping the teacher. So we encourage, when we encourage, we realize that this is how we would want to be treated. And then he adds this in verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, he will also reap. See, often people fall into sin thinking that they can maybe say they're a Christian but live a different way, and that's how they end up being in sin. I have freedom in Christ to live however, and then they start taking liberties that they shouldn't take. Paul says this is mocking God. But he says God can't be mocked because there are consequences to our actions. Every day I get this truth as I teach my three-and-a-half-year-old that there's consequences to his actions. Consequences. But he's stubborn. I'll tell you what. He knows the consequences. But there's a little part of him that thinks that he's going to get away with it. A little part of it that thinks that he's going to get away with it. He came up behind me the other day with a, with a little play sword. I told you last week about how he has all these swords and, and guns from his older siblings that he shouldn't be having. And he just whacked me in the back with it. Just hit me. I said, John, David, what are you doing? So he was disciplined right there on the spot. He knows better. He just couldn't help himself. Listen, we laugh because we can visualize it, and we laugh because we know that we're the same way. Amen? There's times where we just can't help ourselves. But unfortunately, that sin still has a consequence. So no matter if we deceive ourselves or not, he says we're going to sow what we reap. See, people who are stuck in sin, they're going to have the consequences of their sin. They don't need you to give them more consequences. They need you to give them encouragement. They need you to help them out and encourage them. The consequences are going to be there. They need you to love them and encourage them. God's not going to be mocked. The consequences will come. So we're there to encourage Verse 8 says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. See, no farmer reaps, harvests a crop of potatoes when he planted wheat, <laughs> right? You can't outwit nature. What you put in the ground is going to come up. Maybe, sometimes it might not come up, but it will. And he says you can't outwit God. People think they can. John David thinks he can hit me in the back with a play sword. and I'm not going to do anything about it. But I am going to do something about it because it hurt. But also I know that he needs the consequence or he'll continue to do it. I can just be like, oh, he's just a three-year-old. Then I'll go whack somebody else. They won't say it's just a three-year-old because it'll be another three-year-old and they'll whack back. can't outwit God. So people think they can, so they fall out of line and they stall out. So they need encouragement. And that's where you come in. They need encouragement to get out. And then he says in verse 9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. He said, Sometimes we, we must tell ourselves, tell those in our lives, to not give up, that we keep doing what is right. We keep doing what God's called us to do. Just like when you reap a harvest of unrighteousness, when you keep doing good, you eventually reap a harvest of righteousness. And Paul's telling us that to encourage us. We patiently encourage those struggling around ourselves to not give up, keep following Jesus, even when it's hard. And it's it feels hard right now, I think, to be a Christian in our society, our culture. It feels like we're constantly battling what we are. much easier to give in and live with however the world says is appropriate. But that's not what's following Jesus. That's not where Jesus is headed. He's got his own path and it lines up with Scripture. So we're following Him And we don't grow weary of doing the good things. It's much easier to see a person flailing in sin and just put a splint on their finger and leave them alone and think they'll heal by themselves. They won't. They need a buddy. They need an encourager. They need someone to help them out of the pit. Well, ten days after the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor years ago, residents in a small town of Nebraska they heard a rumor that soldiers from their town would be coming through on a train on the way to the West Coast to prepare for war. So about 500 people in that town showed up at the train station. They had food, they had gifts, they had letters and all these loving things to give the boys who were going off to war. And when the train showed up, it wasn't the Nebraska National Guard they thought it was going to be. It was soldiers from the Kansas National Guard. Different state, (laughs) Well, they gave the residents their their gifts anyway. So, well, you go ahead and have these anyway. And this spontaneous act of encouragement touched the soldiers in such a way. It also touched the small town in a way. And so after this experience, the leaders of the town got together and they decided that they were going to organize a permanent rest area, a permanent canteen where they would encourage all the troops that would pass through to the West Coast. So over the years, They did that. For four and a half years, the people of North Platte, Nebraska, met every troop train that came through their town. Every day they brought sandwiches and cookies and cold drinks and and hot coffee and baskets of magazines and and books to give to the soldiers. They even had birthday cakes ready there every day because they knew that someone probably had a birthday. Every day a soldier was met with a birthday cake, and they did this some days as many as 8,000 soldiers and sailors that would pass through. The last train arrived on April 1st, 1946. By that time, six million soldiers had been blessed by the North Platte Canteen in Nebraska. And 45,000 volunteers had served faithfully until the war was over and the troops had come home. We forget just like those boys were headed to war, that brothers and sisters in Christ are in a spiritual war right now. All of us are always in a spiritual war. When I feel like it, sometimes we feel it more than others. And we need people to be there with a spiritual canteen. How can you do that? Every day, people you come in contact with, We're fighting a battle every day some might be stalled out some might be revving the engines we don't know where they're at but every day there is a battle their train stops and they need encouragement we have the freedom to be those encouragers and finally number three we have the freedom to bless others when we love people we we help them, we encourage them, we restore them, we bless them. He says in verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, there will be opportunities we have, recognize them and let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are the household of faith. We're called to bless all people, but especially Christians. The household of of faith. I think this is interesting too, because sometimes I think we get this flipped around. I saw a, a little uh, funny meme today that had a picture of a little play dinosaur g- laughing around from Toy Story, and it said, "This is this is uh, the parent at home," and then it showed the T-Rex from Jurassic Park tearing up something, or, or that's this is the parent in the first one was, this is the parent out in town with their friends, the happy-go-lucky play dinosaur from Toy Story. And then it had a picture of the T-Rex from Jurassic Park tearing something up, said, so this is the parent at home. It shouldn't be that way. That parent that the world sees should be the same parent the children sees. See, when we know someone really well, sometimes we, we treat them worse and we treat strangers because we, they know us. We know them. We let our guard down. Paul says we need to bless everyone, especially the household of faith, especially in your house, especially in the house of God. You should not be treating fellow brothers and sisters in Christ worse than you treat the bank teller down the street. Anything things should be treated better. That's for all of us. We have the freedom to bless those Christians, especially those that we know well. Are we using our freedom to do that? You're going to hear a lot about freedom tonight. I love watching the 4th the, uh, of July specials on TV. Tomorrow you'll see some of them. You hear a lot about freedom. They don't really explain what that is a lot of times. Media just talks about it. They don't really get into what all that means. But as a Christian, it means something even different. We have the freedom to love others, the freedom to worship, the freedom to, 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 to share our faith, the freedom to bless other people. This Fourth of July, as you're eating those baked beans and grilling hot dogs and hamburgers, think about the freedom not only you have to be an American, but the freedom you have to follow Jesus and how that positively affects or should positively affect everyone who crosses your path.